0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. We interrupt the latest Blood Red Podcast to bring you a quick message from our sponsors. And today we're partnering up with LFC themselves to bring you their new fashion collection. There are hundreds of new fashion products for men, women and kids. They're all exclusive to the club and you won't find these products anywhere else. Designed in Liverpool and suitable for any match or any occasion. For men, the stylish hoodies, smart t-shirts and polos and jackets as well as comfortable casual wear with hoodies and loungewear, And for women, there's a range of T-shirts and jackets in key autumn colours of grey and burgundy. There's black, grey and neon active wear with mix and match outfits. And for kids, there's fun, stylish tracksuits, tees, hoodies and jackets and much more. And if you want to see any of the new gear, head over to the official website where Liverpool have got some of their biggest stars on modelling duty. You've got the likes of Virgil van Dijk, you've got Mo Salah, and even new signing Alison all wearing the new fashion range. It's the new Liverpool fashion collection. It's available at all official Liverpool stores, including the stores at Anfield, Liverpool One and Williamson Square and online at liverpoolfc.com slash store. That's liverpoolfc.com slash store.
1: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red Podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today, I'm pleased to announce have the honour of being joined by our full-time Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, James Pierce. Hiya, Jay. Hello, Ian. The honour is all mine. Thank you. Uh, also with us is Joe Rimmer. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Ian. And the tallest member of the sports desk—it's tall, Paul Gorse. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ian. How are you feeling, tall today? Yeah, as ever. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've realised today, or found out today, that uh, Joe Rimmer is actually smaller than I thought. Still bigger than James, so <laughs> as a start. James, uh, you're big in every other sense. If Joe wants to believe that, then <laughs> <laughs> let's crack on. Let's go back let's to crack on. Jim. No. Anyway, uh, James, you were down at Melwood earlier today to I listen to Jurgen Klopp talk ahead of Saturday evening's game against Brian and Hull Albion. And what was Mister Klopp saying?
3: Yeah, I think he was just keen to get the message across that feet remain well and truly on the floor after you know a, a decent start to the season. But Klopp said that you know it, 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 these were two games. He said that a lot of people would have expected us to win. We've done what was expected, but I think uh, yeah. Wanted to focus minds ahead of what, you know, I think he, he senses this is a slightly dangerous game in a way for Liverpool because they are just expected to steamroll at Brighton like they did to them twice last season. Uh, spoke about, you know, how you should just completely forget what happened at Anfield back in May because that day, obviously Brighton effectively had the flip-flops on, having already secured their top-flight status, Liverpool had to win to to guarantee that top-four spot. Um, so it, it was a mismatch. He expects this to be a more competitive game, and um, full of praise for the the job that that Chris Hughton's done down down there. Because I, I don't think we've really seen the the best of Brighton, have we? In the, the the games that Liverpool have played against them since they came up to the Premier League, um, you know, he's done a magnificent job in keeping them there. And obviously they arrive at Anfield on a on a high after defeating United last weekend.
2: I mean Jürgen Klopp was keeping things very low key, wasn't he? Even by his standards, he didn't he was trying not to get excited by pretty much every question he got asked. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the way it is for him at the moment. I think he, he's I think even you sensed it before the first game that he almost I think it almost annoyed him that things were so positive and expectations were so high. It was almost like well hang on a minute, we haven't even kicked a ball yet and we finished what was it, twenty five points or whatever it was behind Man City last season. So it's all well and good you know, getting all this praise, but we have to back it up with, with hard graft and, and results and so yeah, I think I think he was just you know, I, I don't think he wants to be seen as basking in the glory of what Liverpool have achieved so far because I think in his mind they haven't actually really achieved anything yet. He's done what they what's been expected of them across the two games, two very different performances, but um, you know, he, he knows that this team need to deliver it consistently week in, week out and and ensure that they don't drop any stupid points because I think you know from what we've seen from Man City already this season, you know the margin for error if you're you're serious about a title challenge is, is incredibly small.
2: Well, Joe, I was going to ask you that about you know Liverpool, the two wins against West Ham and against Crystal Palace, has there been reason really to be excited? It's, I mean, it's not as though they're beating any of the the bigger teams. They're just doing what, as James said, people would expect them to do if they are a team <coughs> who's going to be challenging for the the Premier League title.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think. I think people got excited over Palace because it was a different type of performance and something that we've all been crying out for Liverpool to do, which is go to these tougher away games and put in a professional performance, not come under too much pressure and, and get out of there with all three points without really ever looking like they were they were having to get into second or third gear. So I think I can understand why people are excited, but they've got to do that over 10 or 15 games before you believe that, yeah, they're they're right in this because City set the bar so high. I mean their performance against Huddersfield. I know, look, I don't, don't think Huddersfield will survive this league season, but the way City dismantled them, set down a marker that many teams will really struggle to um, to sort of reach to. So I think Liverpool have got a lot to do. Um, games like tomorrow, you've just got to go out and win them, minimum fuss, and um, get through to the next one.
2: And yeah, Paul, you've been, uh, well, Jurgen Klopp, should, sorry, has been saying some nice things about Sadio Mane. Um, this week, he said some more things again uh, today, you wrote something early this week yeah. about the impact that he's made I mean, what have you made of him? Well, because it's not just the start of this season where he's got what, three goals in two games, it's been like a continuation of since late January when he's really hit form.
1: Yeah, I think you can trace it back to New Year's Day against Burnley and I think that was his seventh goal of the season and he ended up with um, with 20 for the season and I think he's got 14 in his last 18, so at a time where you've got Mohamed Salah not firing on all cylinders and Roberto Firmino is kind of in a similar boat. I mean, they they've both played well. They, have, they haven't particularly played poorly, but I think Mane's performances so far have just uh, you know he's been the, the main man, hasn't he? And um, I, I think he he will be set for you know even more you know even more influence on the Liverpool team. He's um he's he's comfortable where he is. There's the talk of a new contract on the horizon, and I think he's just happy where he is playing in that front three, which is you know. One of the uh, one of the most effective in, in world football. So I think at the moment, is uh, Liverpool's man in form, and, and he looks to be uh, to be
2: reveling in it really. James, given the way that Liverpool fans tend to forensically analyse and almost everything about every single game and every <laughs> single training session, there's been I've seen one or two suggestions that Mane, when he scored his goal, hasn't been smiling and therefore he's not very happy. Is that, <laughs> is that just fans taking it to the nth degree?
3: Yeah, I haven't seen any evidence of. Sadio Mane not not being happy. I think um, I think the, I think the proof is in his performances. Really, I think uh, you know he's he's taken his game to the next level. I think over the the last six months it was interesting comments from Klopp um, that was in the the papers today and, and on our website um, you know about how he feels as if Mane now finally kind of believes just how good he is. He said you know he, he felt that belief was an issue with him at, at times last season. You know he talked about you know, how the red card against Man City kind of knocked him back, you know, he, that obviously he had an injury around the same time as well, and then obviously the the, the, the high-profile miss in the Moses side derby, which he felt really rocked him for a few weeks, but yeah, I think he, he feels as if now that, that, that Mane is operating at the, the peak of his powers, and I certainly think that goal the other night at Palace was massively probably underrated, I think, you know, in the aftermath of it, you know, there was a lot of focus on Liverpool's defensive efforts, and in particular Van Dijk and Gomez and that praise was richly deserved but um yeah I thought I thought Mane again you know caused them a lot an awful lot of problems and just you you can't it, you know it's I think it would be wrong to overlook just how good that finish was because he had so much still to do when he picked that ball on the halfway line you know Van Aanholt is, is no slouch and to outpace him intelligently cut across him as well and then you know he was almost stumbling losing his footing and as he went round the keeper to have the the composure to, to stick it away and you know, obviously he lost his main man status to Mo Salah last season but uh, the signs are that he's uh, he's getting it back.
2: I mean, Real Madrid will link with him uh, just after the Champions League final. There's still a week left <laughs> of the... Uh, oh. <laughs> you know where this is going. Stop you it, know Dio. where this is going. <laughs> However, it's it's a real... Not that he's going to leave but it, would you be surprised if you... Cause Basically, you look at Real Madrid; they are panicking a little bit. They didn't expect to lose Ronaldo. They've been linked with various players. They haven't really got anybody in, and they're definitely short of players up front, which for them is is scandalous. Really, if there were suggestions of Real Madrid making a bid for Sadio Mane, I'm not. I don't would, think but,
3: there's any amount of money that Real Madrid could offer Liverpool, and they'd even consider would
2: it. Would you be surprised though if they actually did make some kind of effort in the next week?
3: <laughs> nah, I, I. Well, I. You wouldn't be surprised if they wanted him because yeah. he's that good that he would improve their side but usually you would only make a move for a player if you think there's half a chance of getting him and I think Real Madrid would I, th- I think I don't even think they would be stupid enough to think that or arrogant enough to think that they could possibly convince Liverpool to do business regardless of what they offered him because you, you couldn't put a price on money at this stage you know it was you know, if you, if you, you know, you go go back 12 months and obviously the Coutinho saga was rumbling on. Um, you know, back then, you know, it was Liverpool, regardless of what Barcelona offered, they couldn't have, didn't have time to replace him. Well, obviously with the window shut, Liverpool would have absolutely zero hope of replacing Mane. So, you no, know, I think you can definitely rule that one out here.
2: Joe, looking at Sadio Mane's form, say last October, last November, as, as Paul mentioned before, there were some whispers among some Liverpool fans that maybe he was coming to the end of his useful life as it were at Liverpool he'd reached that kind of that kind of peak and that maybe he may be a player who could be moved on in the summer but since then well, I don't know what you've been reading because I don't. I don't <laughs> you're listening to it some strange stuff, <laughs> yeah, are it's, it's just people aren't happy. Hang, hang on, on a, a minute, up here. wait, wait. I just
1: googled. Why
0: didn't you? Sorry, the old man. What? Because because you said that a lot of Liverpool fans said he didn't I smile. I said some against, Look at that. I mean, some. that is a big smile. That's, <laughs> a, that's as nice a smile as you're going to see. Well, <laughs> I know.
2: So I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm what saying about. that the forensic analysis of some Liverpool fans. And that, in a sense, underlines. Und- your line of question. Well, it un- it? well tough. <laughs> und- it underlines the fact that there is. Is this some crazy any sense- fella in your local place? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's that th- there is a fear, or there would be a fear if somebody were interested in him, whereas that probably wasn't there about 10 months ago. No, because I think
0: 10 months ago, those rumours about Real Madrid and other sides hadn't sort of appeared. I think, I think if you to go back to your original question, back in October, November time when he was struggling. I always remember thinking he, he was struggling but only because Liverpool's other two front three were, f- were playing so well and scoring so and, many goals and he
2: was playing he changed position yeah, which I he, think a lot of people yeah, have forgotten yeah, about Yeah. yeah.
0: but it, but even if you think okay you think back to the Everton miss well you know that can happen to any player and I think it probably did affect him a little bit too much but I don't think he, he wasn't stinking the place out he was still getting on the end of chances he was still causing problems he perhaps just wasn't playing as well as the other two but I think the beauty of this Forward line. You think of any other Liverpool title challenge, and I remember Michael Owen being pretty much one of the only players they could rely upon for a while. Fernando Torres and Steven Gerrard the other time. This this time Liverpool have got a team full of goal scorers and the the, the front three. Yeah, if Firmino isn't playing very well, then Salah and Mane come in and, and they do the business for you. So that's the great thing is that Mane will he will have probably another little patch in the in this season where he, where he drops away in form, but one of the other players will probably take his mantle. So. No worries there, and no worries about Real Madrid or anything like that.
2: Paul, uh, John Aldridge did his column earlier this week, and he was speaking about Roberto Firmino, one of those front three. And he basically said that he thinks perhaps he could be suffering a hangover from the World Cup. I mean, do you, do you think there's anything in that? And do you think that is something that may, over time, affect a number of Liverpool players? And it could be something that Klopp's going to look to guard against. You look at Jordan Henderson hasn't started a game. Trent has, he's, he's played the two mm. games. Most of the others have as well. Shakiri's not. But. There could be one or two they're going to keep an eye on.
1: Maybe, but I, I don't. I don't particularly see Firmino suffering a World Cup hangover at this stage. Little have only played two games,
2: and you know if, um, if this, l- com- this comes down to the, the forensic analysis of everybody, yeah, yeah is
0: desperately <laughs> trying to infect <laughs> us all with
1: his
2: negative,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> negative attitude. I think and just
1: If the ball doesn't hit Fabianski in the face from Salah, then Firmino's got an assist to his name this season. So I, I think it's too early to talk of a World Cup hangover. Maybe if you look at it over the next. Four or five games, and you you can look towards Liverpool played ten games, and he's still not firing on all cylinders. Then that might have a bit of weight to it, but I think it's too early to say that at this stage. Um, and time will only tell later on in the season if players who've who've gone deep into the, the World Cup players like Jordan Henderson, then you you might be able to analyze that a little bit more and say that the World Cup possibly has affected one or two. But it's still too early to tell at this stage. And I think Liverpool are, are fine as, as they are. The, the front three are fine on the feet name is obviously the one who's informed, but I've got no
2: issues or no worries over the other two. James, continue in the vein of positivity, you've written <laughs> today about uh, Rigi and his future.
3: Yeah, I think obviously Liverpool were hoping that they 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 could have done a deal with Borussia Dortmund uh, to sell Rigi. You know, the asking price was was twenty seven million pounds, and Liverpool haven't budged from that pretty much all summer. Um, but you know, Dortmund do desperately need uh, more firepower, but. You know they've scoffed at that valuation and and haven't put haven't put together an offer anywhere anywhere near uh, the kind of figure that would that would convince Liverpool to do business. They 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 wanted Liverpool to agree to a season-long loan um, without a commitment to buy, um, which Liverpool weren't prepared to to entertain. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens with that in, in the next week or so. You know the the message was pretty clear that Jurgen Klopp. You know, is, is prepared to keep Origi on board as cover until January if uh, if there isn't uh, an, an offer forthcoming um, and obviously that could have an interesting knock-on effect in terms of Dominic Solanke's future because uh, the plan certainly all along was, well certainly since probably the mid-part of pre-season when Origi hadn't come close to to catching Klopp's eye I think the plan was to sell Origi and keep Solanke as, as backup for Firmino and and storage this season, but uh, you just wonder whether if, if they do end up keeping a on board, then it may well make sense to to loan Solanke out because it's at the moment, you know, you, you wouldn't really see the point in keeping Origi and Solanke for the for the season ahead because, you know, well neither of them have even made the bench so far. And I know obviously things will change, injuries, suspensions or will, will obviously have a have a, a part to play and Obviously, four different competitions that Liverpool are competing on. But um, yeah, one of those, one of the two, I'd, I'd certainly expect to leave the club between the between now and next Friday.
2: Joe, would you expect Origi, if he does stay to become a lot more involved than than he has been recently? Certainly over the summer as well. He, he just seemed to just not be quite there. Like his mind was somewhere else. Like he it's almost like he knew that he was going to get sold. But if he doesn't, will that settle his mind and make him concentrate a bit more? And, and does he still have a role to play for Liverpool?
0: It's hard to say. He's a bit of an enigma, an Errighi, um, because he goes into real terrible patches of form, yeah. doesn't he? And then, and then plays himself into really good form. You know, I remember at the end of Klopp's first season and he was a big part before he got injured the, uh, of that Europa League final push. And he's, a, he's a difficult player to fathom, but think he'll definitely have a role to play if he stays I think Plot will use him because he's a, he's a good fourth choice forward to have or maybe third, well, third or fourth choice forward to have he'd yeah. it, technically be fifth sixth wouldn't he if you say in beyond Shaqiri yeah. and, I'd, and I'd, Sturridge I'd
1: him as third in terms
0: of Firmino central so you'd expect him to play possibly start in the league mm. cup and then other, maybe other cup competitions so there'll be a role for him there I don't think there's a Long future for him at Liverpool. I, I just can't see him really developing the the required quality. Paul.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's a bit of a shame, because as Joe says, he he does kind of have these these spurts where he's he's informing. as Joe mentioned, he, he was the, the man, wasn't he, leading the line when Liverpool went to the Europa League. Finally started away against Dortmund. to score, did he? He yeah. scored. He scored in the, he's yeah, scored in the home leg like as well. Didn't they, he? He yeah? kind of kickstart that comeback. And it's it's just a shame I was gone off the boil, but I'd still rather have Divacarigi as my central striker than Dominic Solanke To be honest, I think of Liverpool a drawn against you know some of the lesser lights in the the League Cup. I'd have no problem with him starting centrally, and he could even play on the wide left as well. So if Liverpool can't find the buyer for him, then you know no worries. Liverpool don't need to sell; they don't need the money. I'm sure his wages aren't too high. So why not have him as another squad option?
2: Uh, James, you snuck a little tweet out earlier today, which which was done with great confidence. Of, I'm not sure where you've got it from, but you've said that Lazar Markovic will be sold this week. <laughs> which, given the fact that Liverpool have failed to sell him for the past four years, or basically since they first got him,
3: well, I said he'd leave in the next week. I don't know about sell. Oh, be a bit optimistic. The, uh, <laughs> sorry, the, I, I misread the, um, it. He, yeah, I mean, obviously, he's out of contract at the end of the season anyway, so. I think you know it doesn't seem that long ago that Liverpool were looking for twelve fifteen million pound for him <laughs> on the back of uh, obviously a slight upturn in his fortunes when he was o- on loan at Hull. Yeah, he um,
2: scored against Blackburn in the summer. Great goal. Yeah, it was no, a great that goal. That player. was
3: unfortunately that shot window was quite small. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it doesn't look like anyone was actually peering through it at the time. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's one of those ones. That obviously, the nearer it gets to, to next Friday. I think fair to say that probably the, the asking price and the demands will, will get less and less to the point where it wouldn't massively surprise me if it ended up effectively being a loan, which would almost be a, a free transfer, mm. really, um, with him being out of contract at the end of the season. Um, you know, I think it's probably an argument that pound for pound he's probably been the worst signing in Liverpool's entire mm-hmm. history because... 20 million pounds for a player that's playing. I think what was his his last game was against QPR, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, QPR, May May
2: 2015. Yeah. yeah.
1: Gerrard's
3: uh, last goal wasn't it? So, you know, the the fact that you know Liverpool have struggled so much to to offload him anywhere, really, in the in the in the periods in between and various spells away. You know, you think back to, you know, when he actually was over in Portugal, wasn't he, for half a season, and then obviously Liverpool lost Mane to the Africa Cup of Nations. Clock was short of a winger yet didn't even want Markovic back then. I think that probably said you every, everything you needed yeah. to know about whether Klopp fancied Lazar Markovic or not. Um, I remember being on the tour last year in Hong Kong where Klopp went on the record then and said, Lazar needs to just get himself another club. You know, there is no future for him here, which you know that Klopp very rarely says anything like that. Doesn't like talking about transfers until they're, they're done. Um, but again, you know, it didn't happen. He ended up staying put until uh, until January... Obviously, he went to Andalect. They were then moaning about his physical condition, and and I think he's, he, he did okay towards the back end of that. And it wouldn't, you know, Andalect have been one that has been mentioned about. They would be open to having him back, but again, you know, you wouldn't be talking much, if anything, in terms of a fee. And there was a little bit of interest from Spain. I think it was Getafe and Leganes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think the Markovic fee will be swelling the coffers too much.
2: That's a big claim, though, from James. So I'll ask you, Joe. Is Lazar Markovic, pound for pound, the worst Liverpool signing in the club's history?
3: I suppose
0: I, I, I thought that myself when, when he said it. It's, it's how you view them, isn't it? Because, like, for me, I think Diouf, because of, because what, of he ref- what, he had, represented. what he represented, yeah. Yeah. the impact he had, or well, Balatelli again for that sort of the similar sort of thing. But I suppose, in terms of what they've got out of him for the money they spent, I mean, it's outrageous. He's a strange player, isn't he? Because I, I can't fathom why. Liverpool have such a hard time finding a club for him. Does he have? Does he not train well? Does he have? I think it might be a wage, wage, wage issue. Thing? It must be and a wage issue, he, and he's thing. not willing to, to come down on his wage because.
2: And clearly, he's lacking a little bit. Obviously, in motivation, from what James was saying, Andaléc weren't too impressed yeah, yeah. with his, his his physical condition.
0: Perhaps so, because it because he's not an absolutely dreadful player in the in the grand scheme of things, is he? You know that you see players bounce around club after club. Well, how That's, does he not? Get a club, he's all, and he's only young as well. He's twenty-four, so he needs Guarini's agent. That's
3: yeah. What he yeah. Needs. yeah, yeah. Well he's not, go, he's, yeah. he's
2: not even close to being the worst player Liverpool have had. Not Definitely. even close.
0: So it's it's strange, isn't it? I don't I just can't understand what's going on with him and why he can't go and settle down somewhere. And you know, Benfica liked him well enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of fee, I suppose you you could argue the pound for pound he is because twenty million four years ago, probably the equivalent of what now forty maybe. Probably and even more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, more and yeah, yeah. I think he's played like thirty games. So. It, it it will go down as one of the, the biggest flops in the Bills transfer history, and I think it might sit at the top. I'm struggling to think of anyone who, who jumps out as as um, as even worse because, it, you know, even if you think players like Andy Carroll didn't quite work out or Robbie Keane, they at least contributed to something. Yeah,
2: and, yeah. And, and they got a decent feedback as well for those yeah, players, yeah. as well. Markovich that's the, that's the other thing. Markovic is geeked, <laughs> as James said, they're basically going to get nothing for him. the underway. <laughs> we'll Tom always Tom. have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Well.
1: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: James, the big story though in the last twenty-four hours uh, has been this, this news that Liverpool, it appears, were given some kind of offer for a takeover. The was and Y4s aren't quite. Nobody knows quite exactly the what's gone on, but the bottom line is that somebody was interested in investing in Liverpool, whether it's the f- full amount or or not. It's not happened. I mean, what's your take on it?
3: Yeah, I don't think it's anything to get too excited about. I think um you've really sold this to us <laughs> no, I I just, I just it's well for a start you know it's very dated when you, yeah. obviously january it. It was, january, wasn't january it? January yeah. was when yeah. any contact with this uh, consortium broke off. Uh, and was and was never you know it never came back to the the table. I think I think the other big thing, having looked into a little bit, is it it never got as far as as um, this Abu Dhabi investors uh, actually sitting down with FSG's two major shareholders, Mike Gordon and John W Hemery. Um, you know the way that FSG operate is they employ the services of, of Allen and Company, which is a uh, a boutique investment bank based in New York, and th- they they basically vet any interest. From potential investors, you know, speak to them, uh, you know, sit down with them, discuss, you know, what are you proposing, what is the offer, how, you know, what is the makeup of the offer, and I think it's clear that that happened in this case with the Sheikh Khalid, um, and you know, he was in in cahoots with a, a Chinese uh, investment fund as well, um, but you know, I think you know, FSG have said that they didn't regard. The proposal as credible or worthwhile enough for it to be put to Henry and, and uh, Gordon, which I think says a lot. You know, yeah, yes. Apparently, it did value the club at two billion. I think that's that's probably the most interesting thing: the fact that probably, you know, there doesn't seem that long ago that Forbes were kind of saying that Liverpool was worth a billion. Now, now with well, know, it, it, Forbes, about two actually, billion yeah, Forbes
2: actually mentioned in June that they'd calculated something like one point four five billion. Mm. So,
3: yeah, and even you know, you go back to last October, and I remember speaking to Tom Werner then because there were stories then in the middle east that um Amanda Staveley and and her company were you know there was claims that they'd been in a year long's worth of of talks and that a, te- a full takeover of the club was very very close and then FSG had pulled out at the 11th hour which Werner you know went on the record saying there was absolutely no truth in that um and FSG just reiterating today that uh, they they're not looking to sell the club that Liverpool isn't for sale but that their long standing statement that they're open to the idea of selling a minority stake in the club it, it, you know still stands so you know similar to what the, the the city group did in terms of what was it i think the the, uh, the chinese bought 13% of yeah. city for 265 million pound 3 years ago um you know you could see the attraction or something like that but you know i think you yourself ian has been speaking to kind of someone much more knowledgeable about football finance than us who Kind of said, didn't he? That you know, th- this would be a strange time for FSG to consider selling Liverpool because yes, it- it's been an unbelievable investment for them from the 300 million pound takeover in 2010 to talk a two billion pound now. But you know, it's it's only going to go one way over the next few years. Well, I was going to
2: ask you that, Joe. I mean, as uh, as James said, I spoke to uh, Kevin Maguire who is a football finance expert at the University of Liverpool. He was mentioning, as James said, that you know, Liverpool. If you look at Arsenal's recent takeover, which valued them at 1.8 billion. He's of the opinion that Liverpool, OK, they haven't quite got the stadium the size yet of the Emirates and they haven't quite been in the Champions League quite as often as Arsenal have in the last 20 years or so. But in terms of their history and heritage, in terms of the overseas market, they're a lot more popular than everybody with the possible exception of England of, of, of Manchester United. So Liverpool are worth at least £2 billion, if not more. And he also pointed out that they do their own independent valuations of clubs and that last season, based on the 2017 figures, that they'd valued Liverpool at one point one billion and that in the last year, because they've qualified for the Champions League once, then got to the final, mm. qualified again, the new T V deal, the fact that the hospitality at Liverpool has got sold to a more extent than perhaps even the club were expecting, it's proven more popular, that it has almost doubled the value of the club and in the next couple of years it could go up you know another billion so there is there's no suggestion or no real there's no real reason for F S G to to wanna get rid of the club because from a purely financial point of view, they bought for, what was it, two hundred eighty million pounds in 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 twenty ten or three hundred yeah, something 300 like that. million. something like that. If it goes to three billion in the next four or five years, I'm sure they'd have some master plan. I remember at the time there was always talk of exit strategies. You know, watch yeah, your exit yeah. strategy stuff like that. If theirs is in ten to twelve years, you know, make the the club ten times bigger than what it is, win a few trophies, and then sell it. I think no one would complain with that, would they?
0: Absolutely not. Look at, I mean. They, they didn't buy Liverpool because they love the club and want to pass it to their grandchildren. They they bought Liverpool for a, an eventual return and, and it's in their best interest to keep developing the club, ensure the club's successful both on and off the pitch and they'll get their return. I, I think I think FSG have been fantastic owners. I know that is an unpopular opinion with some but I, you know and, and, and people can say what they like, but if you look at where the club was when they took over and the way it's developed, they've made mistakes along the way, sure. But they weren't sugar daddies they weren't an Abramovich or a Sheikh they were they were an investment group who tried to do things the right way if, if there is a such a thing But and they, they had a track record as well didn't yeah, they at
2: baseball which obviously a completely different sport but the the you know the, the base is the same isn't it
0: yeah and they've built the club up and they've done it bit by bit they've done it slowly but they've, they've brought in an elite manager and they've now got elite players and it people have had to be patient but it's been a it's a long old slog and liverpool were in a really bad position when they came in both on and off the pitch the squad was in a disarray the the finances were in disarray so i think they've done a great job and i think that we should appreciate where they are now and and the the fact that there's offers like this being mooted shows that the club have come a long long way and i'm glad that they they've decided to turn this one down because i think you you look at some of these um these false dawns at clubs like the likes of Villa have gone through in yeah. recent in recent Villa have years. Villa about two, yeah, and, and and it's scary, you know, it's scary what what some can do. For every Man City, there's probably tax and yeah,
1: yeah, five or ten. Well, it's, yeah, that's an interesting Aston point Villas.
2: because City went through a bad one to get mm-hmm. to a good one. Liverpool yes. obviously had to go through Hicks and Gillette, so it's almost like these clubs are learning as they're going along that they can't just give the money to or, or accept the money from just the first person who comes who comes along. I know there's a bit more due diligence than that, but it is a matter of getting the right person, isn't it, Paul? And you look at FSG the way that they are. Now, as Joe said, it's not a popular opinion or universally popular opinion, but they are doing a decent job, aren't
1: they? Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. And I think if you look at kind of the, the commercial side of things off the field, since they've come in, they've signed up with so many different partners, and you know that just increases their their brand, doesn't it? Well, as much as we love to use that word in, in <coughs> football parlance, that is basically what it's become. You know, the likes of I think it's Billy Hogan, is it, who oversees that kind of thing, with mm. Dunkin' Donuts and Subway
2: and. Which department does he work in? Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh, anyway, carry on.
1: Uh, Beth Victor's another one that comes <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, I, I don't even
0: understand. What was the joke?
1: <laughs> 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 I didn't get it. I was you just going to have used it. Just laugh yeah. on Jeff.
2: <laughs> Dun, yeah, <sorry>. His name <laughs> is Dunkin' Donut. What department? Oh, anyway, cool. It's dreadful. Still, still nice on camera. No. Yeah. no. Um, okay, fine, continue Is anyone still out there? It's all right. I'm going to mention net spend in a minute, James. That'll bring him back. But yeah,
1: as Joe said, that isn't a universally popular opinion because they haven't uh, spent £300 million every summer for the last 10 years. But uh, FSG have, have, you know, they've got Liverpool in, in good shape, haven't they? And, and it's, uh, can't ever remember it as an exciting time. Um, if you're a fan, to you know, support Liverpool at the moment. It's, you know,
2: they're only going from strength to strength off and on the pitch. Don't worry, James, I'm not really going to ask you about net spend. However, I, I will ask you about Brighton. Uh, Klopp mentioned in his press conference or hinted at the fact that he could possibly rotate one or two players simply because it's you know the, the first two games, come up to a third game. He's got the squad there now. Do you expect to see one or two changes or do you think he may just stick with what, what's gone him through so far?
3: Yeah, I think if there are any changes, I think it'll be in that, that midfield department. I think, um, to be honest, he was keeping his cards close to his chest. I think you know he was... He was asked about, you know, would you, you know, because you're winning, do you, do you just keep it as it is? And he said, you know, I would not keep a winning, you know, the team together just because we'd won the last game. There's a lot more planning and, and preparation that goes into it than that. Um, I think Jordan Henderson's probably the most interesting one. You know, does he does he view this as the time to to put Jordan Henderson back in the team? Um, does he think it's it's right to give Milner or Wijnaldum, would probably be the two most at risk, give one of those to a breather? Um, part of me thinks that he may well just go with what he's got, um, just because I think again, you know, wh- why really tinker with it unless you have to? Um, you know, I think if if he thinks that physically those midfield three are okay to continue, then it wouldn't surprise me if we see the the same lineup just because you know it, it's worked that well so far, and you know it's almost enabled Henderson to have a, almost like a proper preseason really, rather than. We talked earlier on about you know, the, the likes of Firmino and Salah and Mane, obviously having a kind of shortened pre-season and getting thrown straight in. Well, obviously Henderson had his three weeks off. Now, you know, what has he been back for? Now three weeks. Um, you know, and I think that will that will stand him in good stead. I still think Jordan Henderson will command the regular starting spot at Liverpool this season. Um, but I just think you know this is you know because of the extra depth and the way in which other players have stood up. There's been been no rush for Klopp to to throw him in.
2: Paul, would you be tempted to change anything for the Brighton game?
1: Personally, no, but I I, I can see Henderson starting. To be honest, I thought he was quite bright when he came on, and he he kind of um, he kept the tempo up, which uh, which obviously he does well. Uh, but uh, I can see him coming in for for Wijnaldum, uh tomorrow. For Wijnaldum? Aldum. Yeah, yeah, not for Milner, no. No, um, I think Milner he's just been in, in such good form the last couple of games. I don't really think he can be overlooked. I, I know Wijnaldum Aldum played well the other night, but I think Milner started. So well, that I think um, it'll be when Alderman makes way.
2: No changes up front? Not tempted to maybe no, rotate no. Sturridge into the team?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good opportunity, isn't it, to throw Sturridge in? But I just think it'll carry on with, with the three. And I, I think they'll play, you know, 90% of games, to be honest. I think it'll be rare that you see Sturridge thrown in. But um, I, I think it, it would be a good
0: chance to put him in, but I don't think he will.
2: I going to say, Joe, if there's one game, if you can't rotate for Brian at home, hmm. when can you rotate?
0: that's true uh, it's just so early in the season isn't it and you think out oh, of those midfield three not, all of them deserve to continue they've been playing so well I, I just wouldn't want to see him drop any of them I, I did think Henderson was bright the other day I agree with mm-hmm. Paul he did keep the tempo going but yeah I just, I just can't get my head around which one you drop and, and up front I don't know whether Firmino you know, he had a bit of cramp I think at the end of the, the Palace game but I don't know whether he needs a bit of a break You know, he, he, had, a, he had a short pre-season Again, if he doesn't, then I don't see the point in stopping. I think get them into form, keep keep playing them, and letting that team sort of does the momentum continue.
2: No suggestion of maybe giving Alexander Arnold rest at right back. I Bringing what, Klein in. I don't see why he needs one. No,
3: because no, I, 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 I certainly wouldn't even think about it for this game. Just because I think Trent gives you so much more going forward. I know some of his deliveries the other night left left a bit to be desired, but um, no, yeah, I thought he was I thought he was really good against West Ham um on the opening weekend and th- yeah this game's perfect for Trent. You know, he's effectively playing as a as a as another winger almost and you know when he gets those deliveries right he'll um it Brighton a lot of problems.
2: Joe are we worried about Brighton given the way that they turned over Manchester United at the uh, at last Sunday I think yeah it was yeah. last Sunday. But the, bearing, the in the mind that, yeah, bearing in mind that they are gonna be without dunk isn't it because he yes, went off yeah, and he, he's yeah. and there's somebody else missing as well isn't they've there they've got kind
0: quite of... a few missing actually they've yeah. got some signing missing because he got sent off at the end of last season um, in Spain they've got their captain Bruno he's missing yeah he's the one um, Bruno yeah. 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 so I think they're a better side than we saw in the two games last season against Liverpool and I, I think I think they'll do alright this season I think they'll be okay I think Chris Hewitton's a good manager but yeah I, th- I just Liverpool have got too much for them and I, I think their style of play will play into Liverpool's hands a little bit the, the sort of team that I think they want to get down, get the ball down yeah. and play a little bit of football they've got those sorts of players so I think that will suit
2: Liverpool down to the ground Paul what do you think then final prediction for the game
1: yeah I, I think Liverpool could do with an early goal I think that you know an early goal always settles nerves in these type of games where teams are going to sit back and pretty much put everyone behind the ball but I don't see Liverpool having too much issue, really. I think I've seen a few people already talk about Liverpool need to score five and six to keep with the <laughs> the city goal difference, and I think that's a bit premature and it's a bit naive. I think
2: you know you just we've, we've Crystal Palace a couple of years ago. Yeah, we'll be in it. exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think you just settle for, for getting the win at this stage, and I think they will. Um, I think it'll be a comfortable afternoon, to be honest, or evening. Three nil.
2: I'm going with three nil.
1: Do you know what? I'm going to go four.
2: Joe. I'm going to have to agree with Ian Doyle. Three 0 Four nil. 4-0. Mm. 4-0. That's unlikely to be uber-positive, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a <laughs> that half-time. You need a full-time <laughs> score as well. We, exclamation <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> yeah, mark yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that punctuation bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening and join us next week where we will look back at the brain game. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the
1: Liverpool Echo.